You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Welcome back to the Fighter versus the Rider. I'm your host, as always, Damon Martin. Alongside me is UFC legend Matt Brown. Matt, what is going on? A uh, lot's going on, right? A lot's going on. Well, why, why do, listen, we got a lot to talk about this week. UFC 284, of course, went down a couple of days ago. Islam Makhachev defended his title against Alexander Volkanovsky. We're going to get into that. But for the first time in a while, we got some breaking news to open the show. <laughs> oh yeah, we got music. What is the what oh, is, is the that breaking music, that's breaking news <laughs> music? What is the breaking news? Matt Brown has a fight. Matt so I turn Brown it to so, so I turn it to you, my friend. May thirteenth versus Court McGee. There we go. The, the go. immortal breaking is back. <laughs> the immortal is back. Coming back to smash the faces, man. Um, you know, Court. He's a great guy. I've hung out with him before. Um, great competitor. Uh, we both have similar backgrounds in, you know, some respects, right? Like we both overdosed, you know, he's really played that shit up. He's really, a, uh, I don't know if you can say play it up. I don't know if that's a, I don't mean that in an offensive way, you know, but he's really embraced that. And, um, yeah, so I got a lot of respect for the guy, man, and, but I'm ready to go in there and smash his fucking face in with my elbow. <laughs> and that's the card we learned over the weekend. That's the card. This is going to be headlined by Anthony Smith and Johnny Walker, which is a great yeah. light heavyweight fight. Uh, on a side note, I had mentioned, uh, you know, like I, I, I think this is going to be like this is that's like talking about violence card right there. Just those two fights alone, that's a violence card right there. Do you know where it's at? Because I, I haven't heard anything about where it's at yet. I haven't heard anything yet either. My contract says TBA. <laughs> I hope it. So I good. hope it's. I hope it gets a crowd. That's all I was getting at. Like I hope there's a crowd there. Yes, I, I so hope there's a crowd. I mean, I'll fight at the apex, of course. I mean, I'm not going to, you know, complain about anything, but I fought there once, you know, um, during the, you know, when COVID was happening, uh, I fought in Jacksonville with no crowd. I fought in Abu Dhabi with no crowd. And it is not nearly as fucking cool without a crowd, man. That is all there is to it. The crowd gets me pumped up. I love it. I love being in front of the crowd. So I hope there's a crowd. Are you uh, are you excited you get an actual like full on training camp? Because this is basically three, literally three months away. Yeah, I mean, uh, of course. I mean, I, I stay in shape all the time. Um, probably, honestly, the only time that I really fought way out of shape was when I fought Beza in Jacksonville. Because right? you know what happened was, you know, I'm not making excuses. You know, he showed up and he kicked my ass good. You know, but um, uh, you know when COVID happened. I I was on my phone all day, you know, I probably a lot of us were right. We were just reading the news all day about COVID and what's going on. And I thought it was like the fucking zombie apocalypse. So I was like, Oh, well, <laughs> no reason to do anything now. <laughs> it's all over. And uh, yeah, I think it, you know, it was just a moment of weakness in my brain there, man. And I just we, I had a hard time finding training partners, a lot of different things. But um, anyway, the point is, yeah, I try to stay in shape and um, I, I'm ready, man. So uh, we're already cranking it up pretty hard and we're pushing good. Um, I actually just did six rounds tonight on the pads. Pretty good. So 
I'm, I'm fucking going to be ready for this one, man. And, you know, Corby Gee, man, he's got some cardio. Um, he'll push a hard pace. You know, he's going to try to break a guy. So um, I, I better be ready for him. You know what I love about this? And absolutely nothing against the Miguel Baezas of the world. Like, I, that, you know, I'm not, like, taking a shot at that. But I love when we get, like, a couple of legends in there. Like, Court McGee's been around. Like, that dude's been around. Legendary toughness, ultimate fighter winner. You were on the alt. Like, not to say you wouldn't take on the younger guys. or the You know what I mean? But, like, these are the fights. Like, I like these fights. Like, I like the fights yeah. against two established veterans. Like, even you and Barbarina, kind of the same thing. Barbarina's been around for a while. You and Lawler. Like, those kind of fights where it's just like, yeah. you know, two guys who've been around who've earned it. You know? And that's not to that's not to knock the younger guys. But those are the fights that I get. Because I think we talked about that not not to bring up a sore subject, but we talked about that with like Shogun going out against a guy we never heard of. Granted, that's the end of his career, but either way, I was like, man, I'd rather see Shogun and Machida or Shogun. And like, you know, I want to see those kind of like, you know, the legend fights. And this is like, you and court have been around, you put in your work, you've earned your reputations. Uh, those are the yeah. kind of fights I get up for. And it's again, nothing against the younger guys. And I'm sure I know you well enough to know they would have thrown anybody at you. You probably would have said yes, but this is like, this is a fun matchup. Yeah, I, I uh, you know, on, on that note, when you talk about the Baeza fight specifically, you know, I actually asked for that. I didn't ask for Baeza specifically. I didn't know who he was, but I said, you know, give me anybody. Give me a fucking young guy. You know, like I want to be challenged. I want to be pushed. And then, um, and that was, if you remember, that was originally supposed to happen here in Columbus, right? And I was in That's great right. shape. And, yeah, and I was training hard, and then they canceled the car, and I was like, oh, I probably won't fight for another year. I'll just relax. And then, <sighs> and then, they, and then they called me and said, hey, you know, you, you can fight in two weeks. It's the same opponent. And I was like, uh, well, I got like 30 pounds to drop, but all right, let's go. And, you know, it is what it is, right? But, uh, you know, at that time, um, you know, I was feeling like fighting the young guys. And on, on this specific one, they actually offered me two guys. They offered me a younger guy, and then they offered court. And they they said, basically, you can pick whichever one, and I went for court. So um, I, I kind of just played that card this time. Um, and to be honest, I think the younger guy may have been an easier fight, you know. Um, but that was the card I played this time. So, you know, we'll see what happens. Um Yes, yeah, so, uh, but, you know, I, I like being like, when, for instance, when I took the Beza fight, I don't I didn't like the idea of being in the UFC and not being willing to fight any person they put in front of me. And I felt like I was kind of getting a lot of the older fights or, or, or like, you know, not not fights that would pump me up quite as much. And uh, when I got that fight the base of fight, I was like, that got me fucking pumped up. I was like, this is a young, explosive kid, you know? Um, unfortunately, there wasn't a lot of film on him, though. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I had no idea what I was getting into. So, um, he turned, fortunately, he did turn out to be a very tough, very resilient, very durable, very good fighter. So, <laughs> it's good. But yeah. anyway, this time, yeah, I went with uh, the Court McGee fight. And well, Court's... Court's well known for his legendary toughness. If you remember the fight yeah. he had with Condit, where Condit, I think, broke his nose and he just kept coming, wouldn't go away. Uh, that's the kind of guy, like I said, you know, there's just certain guys that are built different. You know what I mean? Court's one of those guys. You're one of those guys. I think this is a really fun matchup. And again, you know, you fight just like the Baeza fighter and the other fight out there, like, you know, that's going to be fun. When Matt Brown's involved in the fight, it's going to be a fun fight. But I think this is a really good one. I like this matchup. I like the timing of this matchup. May's a good time. Um, uh, and then, cause it, I, like your last fight was in March of last year in Columbus. So it's been over a year. Like it didn't seem like that to me when you told me about the fight, but I was like, man, it has been a while. So it's going to be good to yeah. get to get the immortal back in there. Yeah. It's unfortunate. It's been that long. Like I didn't want it to take that long, but, uh, just how, you know, we, man, I, I tell all these people all the time when they ask me about, you know, what it's like being a fighter. And I'm like, dude fighting isn't that hard like this is what we love to do i mean it's, it's not easy to excel at it right like you have to have some talent you have to work extremely hard you have to dedicate your life to a sacrifice all of that but when you kind of when you get into the ufc like you see the light at the end of the rainbow right so like i wouldn't necessarily call that hard right you have a lot of motivation like you're you're with the fucking stars you know like you're the sky's the limit so you know when we love us, this lifestyle so much that I don't necessarily, I don't, I don't call that hard. Right. Um, 
what's hard is fucking life, man. And that's why I've been out for the year, right? Like life is a fucking bitch, bro. Like, I don't know how people, I mean, it's, it's no wonder that, that there's so much suicide in the world. It's no wonder that there's so much violence and problems in the world when these people go sit in offices or li live these miserable jobs and then have to deal with life. Like, at least I have a fucking getaway, man. I get to go do what I love, pursue my dreams, be around cool people all the time. Fucking, you know, like I live this great lifestyle. Um, I don't know. How, so I don't know how people even deal with it. You know, I don't know how I would deal with it if I wasn't doing this job. It's uh, it's not easy. And I think that's the, like, I always bring this up in a lot of interviews I do when I talk to fighters and I'm like, you know, when a fighter's gone through, you know, like, uh, you know, a death in the family or a divorce or, you know, moving or what, just little things that we don't take into account that absolutely can have an effect on how your, you know, how life is treating you that can affect when you're fighting, how you're fighting, where you're fighting, when you're fighting, all these kind of things we don't really take into account. Like we just assume like we make assumptions sometimes when a guy's been out for a year, Oh, he must've been injured. No, that's not necessarily the case. You know, he's been out for a year. Well, he, you know, whatever we, you forget like life, dude, life is like, life gets in the way, man. And like, that can mean a million different things. It can mean a million different things, what life is. But I think we do get lost sometimes in like getting so focused on the fight itself that we forget about all the other shit you have to deal with outside of just going to the gym and, and training because there's so much other shit you deal with. Yeah. And that's something, you know, I do preach to like younger fighters when I talk to them and these guys are coming up, um, you know, especially like once they get into the UFC and I'm like, bro, like you need to have your fucking life together, man. Like make your life simple and, you know, make it, um, you know, consolidate that shit. So you don't have to worry about it, man. And there's a, a lot of things that if I, if I could go back in time, I would change, you know, I, I don't regret, I don't believe in regretting things. So I don't regret anything, but um, you know, there's certainly a lot of different ways that I would do things if I could go back just, you know, hindsight's always 2020. Um, so I hope these younger guys will listen, you know, maybe we could, that would probably make a good podcast episode, to be honest, so, you know, just, um, because if you look at like, you know, I didn't reach a title, but I got, uh, I was, I went to a number one contender fight, you know, I was ranked number five in the world at one point, that was the highest I ever went. Um, you know, you would think like from the outside looking in a guy like that, he's probably got his shit together. His life is good. He's making a lot of money. He's set for life or something. And, you know, it's not really like that, you know, um, uh, you know, just the fighter lifestyle just doesn't work out that way. You know, the, you know, whether it's the pay or the, um, you know, I don't know, maybe, you know, our education levels, right. Like we're not educated financially, um, you know, a lot of different things you can talk about on that, but uh, it's not all the glitz and glamour that you see. Like the the life part is very, very difficult. And again, with all the sacrifice you make, um, I think that's where you got to, you know, I don't want to get too deep into it, but you know, the, having the right people around you, man, changes a game changer. You know, I think we should do on the podcast, man. I think I'm just like pitching ideas here while we're doing the show. But I think uh, ask a, ask Matt Brown would be a great uh, weekly category to have on the show here, where we just go through a question from somebody about like questions about the fight life, about preparation, about training, nutrition, uh, anything like that. Ask Matt Brown because one of the one of the benefits of having you do the podcast with me is I've been covering the sport for over 20 years. Like I've been around the sport, but at the end of the day, I'm not a fighter. I've been around fighters. I've been in gyms. I've been in training camps. I've been in weight cutting. I've done all the things you can do to be around fighters, but I am not a fighter. So I cannot understand truly. I can sit here and say, I've talked to fighters and I've talked to this guy and that guy and this girl and that girl. I'm not a fighter. Your input is more valuable in that aspect. And I think having a segment on the show every week, ask Matt Brown would be hugely valuable because you have a lot of knowledge to share with fighters who are of your same veteran level, also of young guys coming up who just don't know. Um, I think that'd be a best. So I think we should start doing that. Just like a weekly category where we could go in and just ask you questions about whatever it is, whether it's nutrition or, or just, you know, sleep schedule, little shit like that, that we don't, again, yeah. these are all things that we don't really talk about a lot on the podcast. We're kind of breaking down fights and big storylines and news stories and things like that. But like, these are the little things that make all the difference in your life 
preparing for a fight or preparing to win a fight. Like we don't think about these kind of outside factors. And a lot of times we don't hear about until afterwards when a guy reveals like, yeah, you know, I went through camp and blah, blah, blah. But you know, it was tough because my mom was in the hospital with cancer. We're like, holy shit. Like, could you imagine dealing with that during a fight camp? Or I remember I'll never forget it was one. It was a situation that absolutely broke my heart, and and I know he's expressed regret about doing this after the fact. But like Jake Shields, when he fought Jake Ellenberger back in the day, his dad had died recently before that, and yeah. I've known I've known Jake and his dad Jack for years. Jack was always in his son's corner. He was always right there with him. He was with him all the time. Very you know very big part of his son's life. His dad died, and Jake ended up fighting like a week or two weeks later. And like he just he looked like a shell of himself in there because I'm like we all knew that because we heard the news, of course. But like I'm trying, still to this day, I try to wrap my head around. Like imagine going in, and again, we've had other instances where it's happened more recently. People have lost family members, and it's incredibly sad. Damon Jackson did; he lost his brother and ended up fighting like ten days later and won. But like that kind of like mental fortitude to even wrap your head around fucking fighting after a death in the family or someone's sick in your family or what they just just little things we don't think about in these life events i think it'd be valuable to have a guy like yourself man because i'd have to imagine at this point you've pretty much gone through fucking everything <laughs> well maybe not everything you always think you went through everything until the next thing comes up right that you haven't been through uh, but i went through a similar situation like when i fought james wilkes um it was my dad was so i took the whole summer off my dad was struggling with cancer and then finally, I was kind of at the point where I was like, I was like, dude, I just, I got to take a fight. Like I was running out of money, you know? And um, um, he actually ended up passing away 10 weeks out of that fight, um, you know? And I just started camp, 10-week camp. Um, I left, went to Seattle with Matt Hume to train uh, for this fight. Um, and yeah, my dad passed away. So I had to come straight back. You know, I basically went to camp being like, okay, well, you know, it's been, my dad struggled for like six months, you know, with cancer. And I was like, dude, well, I got to do something, you know, I got to take a fight. I can't just sit here and, um, you know, take care of my dad all the time. He had other people taking care of him. And then literally the day that I left, he ends up, I get the call. They're like, we need you to come back. You know, it's about to go down. Right. And, and fortunately, um, I flew back and he died that night. Actually, I literally drove to uh, where he was staying and he died that night. So I did get to see him, you know, that right at the end, but you know, so now I've got to go through the funeral, all this stuff. And now I fly back, um, back to Seattle to finish camp. And now I got eight weeks. Right. And I got to deal with the death of my dad. Right. But I think for different fighters, it probably affects them in different ways. Like for me, um, I think it inspired me. Right. Cause I wanted to, um, I don't, I don't know what it was to be honest, but it just inspired me, you know? Um, but the fight after that, like that was when it was, it really sunk in, you know, because like during the camp, like I got something to focus on, you know, I'm using this as fuel for the fire. Um, you know, it wasn't like an unexpected thing, which I think would be worse for uh, most people. Like it was expected. It was just a matter of when, um, so with that said, you know, I, I, Buster Douglas, right? Like it, it was famous. His mother died the week before he fought Mike Tyson, right? And he used it yeah. uh, probably, you know, more as fuel, right? Like um, a lot of these guys that win when family members die, I think it can be a fuel. But um, for me, personally, you know, like I said, I used it as fuel. And then um, I did a lot more mourning uh, after the fight. And then it really kind of sunk in and then, you know, made it difficult after. Yeah. Like I said, these are all little things we don't really think about. And they're not little things, but like things that we don't necessarily think about leading into a fight or a fight camp or coming out of a fight camp or whatever. So yeah, I think we're going to start that segment. Ask Matt Brown, because I think it's, a, I think it's invaluable information you can pass on to up and coming fighters, veteran fighters, you know, I mean, like I said, uh, I just feel like that, uh, that wealth of experience and that, uh, wealth of knowledge is uh is invaluable so i think we should start doing that on the show. to be clear like i'm if we do a ask matt brown session section or whatever it's not going to be what was your favorite fight you know, or, <laughs> yeah advice you, advice ask matt brown for advice yeah like like who do you want to fight next you know because like, <laughs> I, I do these instagram live q a's every now and then or or just q a's on the story or whatever and i get those questions probably a hundred times and then you know 
so I, I sometimes I'll like answer it once, but it's just like <laughs> the same like silly questions. <laughs> I'm just like, like, why do you care about this? Like, what yeah. do you mean? <laughs> like, who, 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 who hit you the hardest? What was yeah, the hardest fight? Yeah. I'm, I'm like, dude. I, like I've been doing this for like 20 years, been studying this shit deeply. Like I got, to, uh, I like to think at least I got some knowledge that I could pass on. Not, not, you know, like, like what was the best crowd you ever heard? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I I like, I like ask Matt Brown for advice and I tell you what, we can go in a, <laughs> this can get into a dangerous section. We could ask Matt Brown about dating advice. We can ask Matt Brown <laughs> all kinds of advice, music advice. I'm sure you got some music advice to pass on. So we'll do a, we'll do a ask Matt Brown advice. Cause I think that would be hilarious. I think it'd be also be a lot of knowledge also to pass along. Um, I think we're going to have to start doing that, Matt. And I promise I will weed out the, uh, who are you fighting next questions? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Cause well, that, that I, yeah. I probably have better dating advice than people would give me credit for. Like, I, Hey, I went through a divorce and I've been dating for a few years now. And now I have a serious girlfriend. So, um, I learned when you go through a divorce, anybody that's went through a divorce, they all know, like, did you learn so fucking much about <laughs> women, about relationships, about yourself, about your uh, ability, um, my God, how would you say it? Like your ability to um, work with others. Uh, boy, there's a lot to be learned there. I'll tell you what. Yeah, no, and we also learned recently that you are, uh, as I like to say, a romantic, a romantic mofo because you also <laughs> own a romantic. You also own a romantic hideaway in, in Tennessee. So you are uh you no one would have imagined the immortal matt brown is a romantic but secretly with valentine's day you know we're gonna yeah. this episode is gonna drop on valentine's day so there you go it's the it, which I, I, we could do a shameless plug on my airbnb cabin it is airbnb.com slash h slash cupids uh hyphen hide hyphen away right <laughs> so it is a romantic cabin in the woods in gatlinburg well, right outside of Gatlinburg, it's actually like Pigeon Forge. Um, beautiful little cabin, though, man, and heart-shaped tub. And uh, I've taken my girl there, and we've had a good time. <laughs> Have you never been to Pigeon Forge? Or it's, it's a gorgeous area down there. So Yeah, the Great Smoky Mountains are beautiful, period. Yeah, good time down there. So, yeah, support support the immortal by supporting his love hideaway. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels. But now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, we got, uh, we do have a lot to talk about real as we get into the show. Of course, the announcement, of course, let's just make sure we're out there. May 13th, Matt Brown, Court McGee going down. Cannot wait for that one. We are going to have a lot to talk about with that fight. And also we're going to be doing some fight camp podcast stuff here where we just kind of focus on fight stuff. Not necessarily who you fight next, but like, you know, talk about like going through the fight camp training with the savage that is Mark Coleman, the guys you're bringing into camp. Maybe we'll get some of them on the podcast, you know, some fun stuff that we don't normally get access to uh, without being in a fight camp. So I think it's going to be a lot of fun over these next uh, couple of months 
and uh, and leading into the fight uh, with that. With that being said, Matt, of course, this past weekend, UFC 284 went down. Islam Makhachev defended his title against Alexander Volkanovsky in a five-round classic, and we do have the benefit of hindsight now being a couple days later. And, you know, immediately after the fight, man, these guys were all about, oh, man, it was so, you know, so much honor and so much respect. And then, like, two days later, they're like, I won the fight, Alexander. I definitely won. And, you know, Islam's firing back. You know, the the the, the, the honor and respect went flying out the window. Uh, I won't say honor. I won't say flight. You know what I mean? Like, the, the whole, you know, oh, it was a good fight, I, you know, whatever. And then, you know, two days later, it's a different story. Um, but uh, you watched the fight. Uh, I know this was a, a, a fight you found a lot technically that you enjoyed. So what did you think of Islam and, and, and Volkanovsky? Well, I think I was impressed, very impressed by both of them, as I'm sure everyone was that watched the fight. Um, I'm surprised you put it as an instant classic. I didn't think it was really a classic unless it was, you know, for the hardcore MMA fans that, you know, if that wasn't a main event, like no one gets really excited uh, about the fight itself, right? Like if, if if these guys were not, um, you know, number one and number two pound for pound in the world, right? If it was on the prelims and these guys were up and comers, but the skill level there was, you know, you could tell they were number one, number two pound for pound in the world, right? Um, with that said, um, you know, I had Islam winning. I thought it was, uh, you know, I'm sure that's what everybody wants to hear, right? Is who'd you have winning? You know, so uh, look, Islam won the fight and. Uh, I think everybody was impressed by Volkanovski's ability to uh, wrestle and grapple and, of course, defend wrestling and grappling. And everybody was impressed with Islam's ability to strike and hang in there with Volkanovski. Uh, I thought that the biggest problem here, and this is where pound for pound gets really complicated, is that uh, it was just too much for Volkanovski to overcome, right? Like, I thought he was as good if not he maybe you could even say he was the better fighter you know people could make that argument i think um but he was fighting a bigger taller stronger guy and maybe not even stronger but you know definitely bigger and taller um you could tell like he couldn't get his jab going couldn't even use much of his long-range weapons um you know through very few kicks started you know in the first round with some kicks and they kind of just faded off over time i was having a hard time closing the distance and that that's obviously partially due to um, Islam's wrestling too, right? You don't want to take any big risks, but you know, with him trying to do a lot of shifts to get inside, um, that was certainly a, a part of his game plan um, that he had worked on, and that was how he was trying to close the distance. But it was it was just too much to overcome. And you know, kudos to Volkanovski for trying to climb that mountain, um, and. When, in my opinion, when when we look at any fight like this, where we know that the odds are, you know, not in the guy's favor, right? And it's a huge mountain for someone like Volkanovski to climb. Every little bit of success that he does have kind of gets exaggerated because we kind of didn't expect it, and that's where I think people are putting Volkanovski as the winner um, because he did have a decent amount of success. But when you look at the round-by-round round scoring, I mean, it's hard to argue against Islam winning that fight. Two things. One, I know we kind of debate on here, Matt, so we're supposed to disagree on stuff, but I could not agree with you more on the point about Volkanovski. I thought Volkanovski fought a great fight. thought he looked incredible. But the reality was there were so many people counting him out saying he was going to get he was going to get mauled by a bigger, stronger, you know, opponent in Islam. And Islam is that good, but he didn't. And so I think people kind of, the reaction to that is, well, Volkanovsky must've won because he didn't get blown out of the water. That's not necessarily the yep. case. He, he lost. I mean, he, he did great. Take nothing away from Volkanovsky. He put on an amazing performance, but I had it 48, 47 for Islam Makachev. I didn't, I didn't really see any controversy there. Now that's not to say some rounds weren't close and Volk obviously had some great moments. Absolutely. But yeah, I, I think people get that revisionist history a little bit when you're like so determined that someone's going to, I think a little bit that I'm not saying that those fights weren't close, but I think anytime like John Jones ever had anyone kind of come close immediately, we're like all like controversy because we're so used to John Jones just blowing people out of the water that when anyone keeps it close with him, we're like, Oh my God, huge mm -hmm. upset. And I think it's a little bit like that because we built Islam up to Khabib. We were just comparing him to Khabib, who is the most dominant lightweight of all time. 
And then when he doesn't just dominate and Alex actually sticks around, um, it was a cl- it was a good fight. It was a close fight. The other point it's I want to bring up, it reminded me of that exact fight, uh, Dominic Reyes and John Jones. Like it was it was kind of the same thing. We expected John to just kind of walk through him, and he did. So everything that Dom did do was again it was kind of exaggerated. We kind of thought thought wow like oh he hit John, that just won him the round. You know, <laughs> it's like no, you got to do a little bit more than that. Now with that said when people are arguing for a Volkanovsky win, I'm not sure that I would really argue against them. Like if, if we, if you came on here and you're like, no, I had a Volkanovsky win and I scored it like this. I'm not sure how much I would argue against you. Right. Like, I'm not sure that I would have a, a solid argument to say that that's not true because some of those rounds were so close. I think especially the first and second round, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to remember, I was trying to remember before we even, came on here exactly how all the rounds went down. But if I remember right, the first and second round were like so utterly close that like you can certainly make the argument for it going either way. I think the clearest rounds, if I remember right, was like the fifth round was probably pretty clear for Volkanovsky. Um, third and fourth were pretty clear for Makachev, right? Yeah. Um, and, and I'm, you know, don't quote me on this. I could, I could be misremembering these rounds, but the first and the second were really kind of close. And that's where it goes back to that whole like uh, damage versus control thing and what is damage, right? Because Volkanovsky dropped him in both those rounds. And I think Volk also got dropped in the second, right? They think they dropped each other. Yeah. But it's like, it's like, uh, and, and people talk about the Volkanovsky's uh, strike differential, right? Like he had a lot more strikes, but it's like, you know, what is damage? You know, if it, just because it's a strike, you know, th- these things on paper, it's, it's it's fucking stupid, man. Like, like papers does not tell the story of a fight. You have to watch the fucking fight, right? And and then when like, and just because someone hits someone and it counts as a strike on paper, that doesn't mean that it did damage. Yeah, I hate the term significant stripe, and that's like one of my least favorite things in the sport because what is that? It makes it sound like it's this – it makes it sound like it's almost like a knockout blow in a way. Like I know they yeah. don't mean it that way, but that's what it sounds like when you say a significant strike. What's the difference between that and a regular strike? What are you count like what is some dude outside the cage counting as a significant strike versus a regular strike? I don't – I hate those stats. Um, it's very subjective. Yeah, the other thing I want to bring up, and, and this is one thing I want to mention, because you know what I've noticed is that when we see, and it's only happened a few times where guys will go up and wait and immediately get a title shot, and they do this whole champ champ thing. Now, we've seen people find success with it. Of course, Daniel Cormier did it when he went up and fought Stipe Miocic, but I would argue Daniel Cormier was always a heavyweight. He pretended to be a light heavyweight because he was always a heavyweight. I think he actually hurt himself by cutting all that weight and fighting a light heavyweight. I think he actually diminished himself by doing that because he had to shed so much weight and stay down there and fight at 205 pounds. I think Daniel Cormier was a better overall heavyweight. We just know he didn't fight at heavyweight because he didn't want to have to run into his friend, Cain Velasquez. Um, but we saw Israel Adesanya. He went up and, and struggled a little bit with the size and the power of Jan Blachowicz. We saw when Max Holloway went up and felt with the size and the power of, of Dustin Poirier, I think what I've learned and, and, you know, again, this is just from an outsider looking in and watching a lot of fights, but I'm starting to realize like the, the way to go up and wait and actually find success is to do the Dustin Poirier and, and, and Robert Whitaker method slow, but sure. Don't jump right into the deep end on day one, because you need time to adjust. You need time to adjust to the power, the size, because Volkanovski's got gotten hit by it. You know, he got he went. You know, he's gone twenty whatever it is, fifteen rounds or whatever it is with with Max Holloway. Um, he got hit at like one hard time by Makachev, and it rattled him. It knocked him on his butt. And I just think that's the difference between lightweight power and featherweight power. Um, I just like it, it, obviously Connor found success. He did it to Eddie Alvarez. It's a different matchup. Different. Okay, I understand that, but. Like, I think, like, when you look at Robert Whitaker, like, we forget he was a welterweight. Like, we just completely forget that because he was a, he was a kind of a middle of the road welterweight. He went up and slowly but surely became a middleweight. And then, you know, he eventually became champion. Dustin Poirier, yeah, he had the, he had the one, you know, the bad fight with Michael Johnson, but then he just started building on that. He started building and building and building and became, now we can't even really fathom Dustin Poirier being a featherweight. I think that's the road you got to travel because I think when you're Volkanovsky, he was maybe, 
again, one round away from winning that fight. And as you said, argue that maybe there's an argument to be made that he could have won that fight. The difference, I think, were those little things that he couldn't truly be ready for in his first lightweight fight. The, just a power differential that he just couldn't quite plan for, just getting hit hard one time by Islam Makachev that just kind of knocked him on his butt that he just, you can't, you can't, because you're not getting hit like that. You're not trying to get knocked out in practice, Matt. We all know this. Like, not say it doesn't happen, but you're not in there letting your partners just beat the living hell out of you just to see how you can take a lightweight punch. Um, I think that's what I'm learning here. Like, I'd, I don't have a problem with Volkanovski going back to lightweight one day, but instead of just getting a title shot, I would like to see him get a couple of other fights to, to get acclimated to lightweight because I think we've seen this, especially again recently, Max Holloway and Israel Adesanya are two great examples of guys who went up and they had to deal with a size differential they just weren't used to in a fight versus a Poirier and a, and a Whitaker who did it slowly but surely, built their body up, they built their muscle up, they built their timing up, and then Poirier, interim champion, you know, Whitaker world shit. Like, am I wrong in thinking that might be like this, this might be a bit of a mistake to just go right up and fight for the title. Cause you don't have time to acclimate. No, I think that's a good point. And to add to that, you know, when a guy like, well, for instance, like Volkanovsky going up to fight Islam, I mean, it's not like he went up to fight a world champion. He went up to fight you know, the number two pound for pound guy in the world. Right? Like he, he went to fight Islam, you know, and I don't know. It's it's hard to tell, man. You know, like I think like Israel probably underestimated Jan Blackwish a little bit, you know, in that exact sense. And um and and that makes a lot of sense, you know, exactly what you're saying. Um for Volkanovsky, it seems that the biggest thing for him to ever overcome is going to be just literally his size. Right. He, even if he, you know, fills out into a full on one fifty-fiver. Um, like Makachev looked, you could tell they were in two different weight classes. Like yeah. he was so much bigger and taller and it didn't seem, and just from everything that they've also talked about a little bit, like the strength wasn't a huge difference as much as probably we expected it to be, but just the height, like Volkanovsky had a, a very hard time getting inside on um, Islam and uh, of course, part of that's going to be because of the wrestling, right? Like you can only close the distance so much so fast without risking getting wrestled. But, um, but it, you know, even if you took the wrestling out, if it was a kickboxing match, you know, you have to take two steps to get inside when that dude can just stand there and still not be touched, right? And you just took two steps. So, you know, the timing changes up a lot and, uh, it, again, it just seemed like a little bit too much for Volkanovski to over just a hair too much. Um, and but I mean, like, you can't say enough good things about Volkanovski. I mean, Jesus Christ, like he didn't grow up in the mountains of Dagestan wrestling, right? <laughs> so you know, and, and he actually you know completely hung in there with them. So you know, Volkanovski, and for me, I still keep him as number one pound for pound. Because it seemed to me that Islam won that fight um, because of pound for pound, like because of weight, size, not because of a, an actual uh, skill um, um, separation. So you actually still keep him number one over Islam? I actually do, which, again, when we're talking pound for pound is such a silly, stupid argument. I think we all know this, you know, so, but since I know we're going to go there and everybody's going there, um, you know, that's my two cents pound for pound. He, I do think he is still the better fighter, but he could not overcome the size, right? Like, like I, I'll put him, you know, pound for pound over, you know, the, um, you know, Jamal Hill, for instance, right but he's not going to overcome that size either. Right. So it's like, um, you know, you have to look at it uh, in a certain way, you know, he's, he's not going to overcome the size of a heavyweight or, you know what I mean? So. I, I disagree with you only based on this because to me, results have to matter. And, and Alexander Volkanovsky took the risk of going up in weight. And at that point, even though, I don't disagree with you in terms of like why Islam Makachev won the fight. It wasn't necessarily he was always the better fighter. He did have the weight and the size on him, and that helped. 
But the reality is, is that Alexander Volkanovsky took that risk and took that shot. And I think the reason why the result matters so much in this one to me is because they were so close. This would be different. This was different. Well, you know, I talked about this on another one of our podcasts on MMA fighting. We were doing a ranking show. Um, like when, when Jan Blahovich beat Israel Adesanya, I didn't jump Blahovich over Adesanya in the rankings because the fight was really close and, and Adesanya just had a much better body of work. I mean, Blahovich had just beaten Dominic Reyes. Like that's the only win he had and he, and he became champion and that was after John Jones left the division. So we were still dealing with the fallout of John Jones being the best, like legitimately was the best light heavyweight in the sport, but somebody else had the belt. Like that was kind of the way we all looked at it. Let's be mm-hmm. honest. That's the way we all kind of looked at it. Um, and, and Israel was already in, you know, whatever it was, like five, six title defenses, you know, looked incredible. I think he was coming off the Costa win. You know, he just looked unbeatable. So I didn't jump him. Even though he lost the fight, I didn't jump him. The reason why I did it this one is because I think, you know, based on the rankings, Volkanovski was number one. Makachev was number two. He beats him, even in a close fight and wait. And I just, I, the result is what ultimately trumps it for me, where I have to put him number one. I don't disagree but, with what you're saying, but the result has to matter. And listen, Volkanovski, it wasn't like Volkanovski got thrown into this by accident or he took the fight on a week's notice. He did this of his own volition. He asked for this fight. He had months to prepare since October to prepare to fight at 155. He knew what he was stepping into and he lost. And it is what it is. He lost. It's that's the story to me. And again, it's not to say he can't retake that spot. Um, you know, there's all all of the and again, just to be clear, we all know pound for pound is, you know, whatever. But, uh, yeah. yeah, to me, the result has to matter, and, and, and Makachev won the fight. And I get that, but when I look at um, Islam's body of work versus Volk's body of work, we, like you just referred to, when you talk about body of work, like Volkanovsky's is way better, and then he took a risk by moving up. And, again, like if he – you know, what if he went up to uh, 170 and challenged Leon Edwards, you know, and lost to him, you know, we'd probably give him a lot more benefit of the doubt, right? We'd be like, well, you know, that's way too much of a size difference. And again, to me, the biggest differentiator, the separator in the fight that Volkanovski couldn't overcome wasn't a skill thing. So when we look at pound for pound, I think skill-wise, he's still right there. But what he couldn't overcome was the size and height difference. I mean, you're right about the, you're absolutely right about the body of work. Volkanovski had a better body of work. Although to his credit, Makachev is on like a 13 fight win streak. Granted, most of those wins aren't over the same level of competition. Uh, the Volkanovski had with like three wins over Max Holloway, you know, win over Brian Ortega. Like, I think he had higher quality oh, wins. Yeah, and I, yeah. And, and, and obviously, you know, uh, you know, Makachev had one really big win, which was the Oliveira fight that he absolutely dominated and then finish in the second round with the submission. So, yeah, I don't disagree. But again, I just, the result, like I said, to me, they're close. And when you're that close uh, and one guy wins, one guy loses, that to me puts you there. And, and that's why I have him number one. But I'm not, I'm not arguing, like vehemently arguing that it's wrong to have Volkanovski number one. I just, again, to me, results always have to matter at least a little bit. And, uh, and Volkanovski, again, I think this, again, Volkanovski looked great. He deserves a ton of credit. Uh, for doing what he did, but he just to me he came up short that night, and I, I I I don't I feel completely okay with my scorecard. Like if I felt guilty about my scorecard, maybe I'd have a different opinion. But I don't feel guilty. I think Makachev won the fight. Yeah, no, I, again, the scoring you know in a fight like that really does come down to a lot of subjectiveness too, right? Like uh, you know, like the first round, right? Like uh, Volkanovski drops him, and then Makachev you know, basically wins the rest of the round, you know, but how much did that uh, drop that big punch? You know, how much did that count for the round, right? If it's boxing, okay, now it's, you know, a 10-8 round. So, you know, this scoring is just a, it's a fucking mess, man. It's such a hard thing to score anyway, you know, like I'm not sure that there is a right way to do it. Um, I love the way the verdict scorecards are doing it. Um, I don't know if you see them on Instagram yeah. or Twitter or whatever, but um, I seem to agree with them the vast majority of the time, even though I think they had Volkanovski win in this fight. But, um, you know, I, I, uh, boy, they, I wish there was something we could do about these scorecards, you know, like like just consistent across the board. We know, you know, like in wrestling or football or you know, I guess not boxing, but, you know, in so many other sports, like, you know, who's winning, you know, why they're winning in this sport. We just can't seem to figure it out. 
Well, I, st- I mean, I don't want to turn this into a scoring discussion, but I think ultimately my biggest issue is always going to be the 10-9 must system. It's just not built for MMA. Yes. It's just not. Um, I don't, I, I've, I've got it a lot. Especially I've got over a, a five-minute round. Yeah, like you five, get, a five-minute round and a, and a five-minute round and oftentimes a three-round fight. Like, that's also horseshit. Yeah. Like, the 10-9 scorecard could mean the difference between winning and losing on a three-round. You don't have 10 rounds like you do in mm-hmm. boxing to make up for one round. You lose one round, well, you're basically, like, you have to get this one or you're fucked. Like, that's not that's not a good outcome to me. Um, and the ten, just the 10-9 system in MMA just does not work. It never has worked. Um, I don't know that I have the perfect solution, but, yeah, it's I've never enjoyed the 10-9 must system, especially, like you said, five-minute round, and then you got to score to 10-9. And we talked about the little differences in this fight where it went 10-9 one way or the other, but it's stupid that we only have the 10-9 to go by. Yeah, yeah. Dude, dude, yeah, I think you're exactly right on. You know, you're talking about five minutes. So many things happen. You got so many different skills and positions available, and you get one point <laughs> for the whole round. Yeah, it's kind of fucking ridiculous. But and, uh, I mean, even though it's, I know it's a different sport. I know boxing has a lot of issues as well. But I'll give you a quick example about like the differences. Like when Jake Paul fought Anderson, so it was an eight round fight. Wasn't as deep, but I actually had Anderson up. I think it was close going into like that last seventh. I think the seventh round, it was close. I think it might've had like three, three at that point. I know a lot of people disagree. They had Jake up. Here's what happened though. Jake got that knockdown in the round seven and, or maybe it was round. I can't remember what it was, it was close. And then Jake won that round and won the last one. And then to me, it was clear. It was done. Jake, I, Jake Paul won the fight. Like it was not a question to me. He got a 10, eight round. Cause he knocked Anderson down and then he won the last one or whatever it was. But if that was only a five round fight, I might have had a completely controversial scorecard because I thought I had Anderson up like three two at that point, but only because they only had five rounds to it. Over eight rounds, Jake Jake Paul clearly won the fight. Like, and I understand boxing is don't get me wrong, boxing has some really controversial, stupid scorecards as well. But at least in that regard, you can oftentimes make up for like a bad score early and then make up for it late because you have ten rounds to work or nine, eight rounds to work, whatever. Again, three round fight. You know, one round difference of just a bad scorecard and you're a split decision or, or you know, uh, look what happened in the earlier fight with uh, Alonzo Minifield. You know, his fight ended up in a draw because of a point deduction. There's all kinds of things that can happen. So uh, but I to the bigger point to what you're saying, Matt, I totally agree about in a five minute round. We got to boil that down to a 10 nine. That just seems like bullshit to me. Yes. Yeah, and. I don't know the people that are making these different uh, scoring criteria. Um, you know, I think they're just kind of all over the place, man. And, um, you know, I don't know if the judges don't get it, but even if the judges do get it, like, it, it's just not good practice, you know, like, yeah, we could talk about it. I don't think we want to get too deep in this discussion. We could certainly do an entire podcast on this discussion. And, um, but it, it seems like a fruitless argument at this point. I mean, we've been talking about this for how, how many years now, how many fights have we seen that are just ridiculous. And, um, you know, I've been involved in my damn self and, um, you just, you don't know what to do, you know, like you can feel like you're winning and, um, and you're not. So, yeah, you know, it's just part of the sport that we got to deal with now. Yeah. Um, real quick before we get out of here, Matt, um, this is going to kind of turn into a ask Matt Brown segment right now because, <laughs> In the aftermath of the fight, Dan Hooker dropped some pretty, um, pretty, you know, out there allegations against Islam Makachev, accusing him of using an IV to rehydrate after the weigh-ins. Now, again, let's just say all this is allegedly this is Dan Hooker making these allegations, not anyone from a commission. I reached out to USADA. They gave me a statement today and they basically said, you know, we investigate all you know, potential, you know, illegalities, but, you know, they're going to look into whatever. They have not said that Islam did anything wrong. And I want to be clear about that. We have no proof whatsoever that Islam Makachev did anything wrong. Even if he got an IV, it doesn't necessarily mean he did anything wrong because there are instances where you can take an IV under USADA and under doctors, you know, uh, orders and under a, a TUE, a, a therapy use exemption, where you can have it. So let me just eliminate all that with this conversation. I don't want to get into allegations. Because it's, it's pointless because we don't have any proof. Here's my question to you, Matt. And this is why I want to bring this up. Because you come from an era before USADA where fighters used to routinely do IVs. And I used to be in, I used to go to fighters' rooms to do interviews 
after a weigh-in and they'd be getting an IV while I'm interviewing them in the chair. So I know like that was, a, and then of course you saw this taking that away and they've changed it. I know there's like a little bit more wiggle room, I guess now for IVs, the amount you can get things like this, but again, you know, they try to more or less ban it. Can you get just from like a athletic perspective, can you kind of give me a sense of how much or how little those IVs actually do help you or don't help you because you've had to go through both you've had to go through the years where you could i don't know if you did use ivs i'm just saying like you could and now mm -hmm. you can't so can you give me a sense of like the difference no i did use ivs every time back in the day I, I got to the point where i would do my own ivs like i actually went and learned how to stick myself and i'd have my IV ready and i wouldn't have to wait on a nurse or anything i just do it myself um and then um come to find out you know, your veins are actually like pretty collapsed when you're that dehydrated and it's kind of hard to find it. And mm. I poked myself multiple times a few times, you know, I'd be sticking it, sitting there in the hotel room, poking myself over and over, <laughs> but I would always end up getting it. But anyway, um, you know, so from what I understand is the IVs help you immediately within like a couple hours and they rehydrate you quicker than you would just drinking. But over a 20, four hour period, it doesn't actually change anything anyway. Um, now that's what the uh, scientific community is going to tell you. Um, you know, the, uh, the research that has been done has, that's what it has shown. Like your rehydration is basically identical at 24 hours, whether you did an IV or not. Now the feeling that you get after getting that IV and you feel refreshed, pretty quickly and your weight comes back and you're able to digest foods and you're peeing again. Um, I think it is a good feeling, you know, even if it's just a placebo thing, like it is a good feeling and it is uh, beneficial mentally. Uh, I don't think it actually makes a difference personally though. And I've dropped, uh, you know, pretty significant amounts of weight with and without IVs. And I don't think that ultimately it does make a difference. It's interesting to hear you say that because that's why I think that's one misconception that you're rehydrating and it's making you better at what you're saying. And, and to understand that you're just rehydrating quicker. It's not that you're rehydrating better, mm -hmm. that you have an IV and your opponent doesn't have an IV. So you're rehydrating. It's just you're rehydrating quicker. Yeah, exactly. And and again, maybe I, you know, I, to me, it never made a difference. Maybe for some guys, it does make a difference to be refreshed better, right? Because now you're back to you know, whether it's 80, 90, hundred percent or whatever of, of yourself, you know, within a couple of hours versus within, you know, maybe six, seven, eight hours without having an IV. So maybe that makes a difference. Um, maybe you digest your food a little better, you know, I'm not sure, but for me, I never noticed the difference to be honest. And when they took away IVs, it didn't bother me at all. So you don't use IVs now, obviously, and it doesn't, you don't really feel like it affects you that much differently. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, I haven't used them since USADA and it, it didn't bother me at all. Um, you know, since they illegalized them, I think USADA was in and we were still using them. And then they actually said, you can't do it. And also from what I've heard, and I don't know if this is true or not, but I've heard multiple people say they can't actually even test uh, for you doing an IV. They say that they test for the plastics and I've heard that that's all bullshit. Um, I, I know some guys, um, not going to name any names, obviously, but I know that there's ways you can also get IVs in using a glass, um, you, you know, because the, the actual plastic that they claim that they're able to detect comes from the bag, not from the line. So you use, you know, so you still use a plastic or a rubber line, but you would use a, the uh, actual liquid to be contained in glass file. Wow. Um, yeah. So like... You know, there, there's ways around it anyway. But again, like I haven't even fucked with it since uh, USADA made it illegal and it didn't bother me at all. So, and again, I want to be clear, like we're not saying this is everybody. You're speaking from your personal experience. So obviously exactly. someone else may have, but to be clear, and this is the part I want to clarify that the difference like by fight night, because I think there's this misconception and I'm not trying to condemn Dan Hooker. I, I like Dan Hooker. I want to be clear about that. I'm not trying to condemn Dan Hooker. I'm just using him as an example. The way it's being made out and some, and this is not him, by the way, I've heard this before too. 
IVs were like this superpower juice. Like you would take an IV and you would turn into like Superman. But if you didn't have it, you would. Sh- it was like I know I I feel bad using it. Like it was like Vitor on TRT versus Vitor not on TRT. Remember how you look at all deflated? Like people are equating it to that. Like you take an IV and you're you know you're fucking muscled up and you know you're ready to fight. It's not that. I want to be. That's all I'm trying to get. It's not like it's not some super juice that you're taking, and suddenly you're a ultimate badass again because you take an IV, and 24 hours later you're at such a huge competitive advantage over your opponent. That's my understanding, and that's my belief. Also, um, again, like you said, there may be people that feel differently about. And the the other part too is like you know, placebo effect is real and is just as strong as the real thing. So if it makes people believe that they're actually getting benefit from it, then they're probably actually getting benefit from it. So, um, you know, and on top of that, you know, there is other things that they can put in IVs too. Um, you know, which I, I don't really know a ton about, but I know that there is different cocktails and things that they can put in IVs that can potentially be performance enhancing that maybe, again, I don't really know the research on that. Like I know, rehydration levels they have done legit studies on it as far as i know where your rehydration levels are the same after 24 hours but you know did they also check you know your aminos your electrolytes your um i I don't know you know b12 you know things like this which may uh, actually play a part in the long run over 24 hours so you know again it's hard to tell and um but to me, I've never noticed a, a difference. And that's about as far as I can comment on it because I can only go off my own experience. Well, and the other thing I want to mention, I want to, I want to ask Matt is because you said it recovers quicker. Now I remember years ago, uh, I was at the UFC was it like 83 in Montreal when uh, Michael Bisping was fighting Charles McCarthy on that car. Now I remember I went to dinner that night with the guys from American top team and Charles was on that team. And I was at dinner with them and we sat down and Charles was trying to eat some pasta after weigh-ins, like an hour or two after weigh-ins, and he couldn't eat. He just felt sick yeah. because he'd gone through the weight cut. He felt sick to his stomach, and he just couldn't eat. I remember watching when Rich Franklin won the middleweight title against Evan Tanner, uh, rest in peace, Evan Tanner, uh, years ago. I remember right after the weigh-in, because that was I, you know, I had known Rich very well at that point, being in Cincinnati. Um, I remember talking to him right afterwards, and he was eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. He was trying to get some nutrition back in his body like fast. And I think it was peanut butter. And je- I think it was peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, and like drinking water. So everyone's got their own method, and 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 mm-hmm. like with Charles, he just could not. Like he felt sick. Am I right in assuming that really the biggest benefit is just it's kind of like when you get sick, sick, and they give you an IV to rehydrate your body, it's just a quicker, faster way to rehydrate rehydrate your body versus just drinking water or even like um, Pedialyte or something. Is that is that fairly? It's just a quicker way to recover from a weight cut than let's say necessarily it's going to give you an advantage in the fight. Is that is that kind of a fair way to say it? That, that's as far as I can tell, and like I've felt this sickness before too, right? Um, you know, because like sometimes, like for instance, before uh, USADA, right? Like we would have the IV, you know, back at the hotel, right? We weren't doing like, and, and, you know, they would take you to the weigh-ins and then it would be a good hour or so before you get back to your room, right? You have to do post-fight stuff. Uh, sometimes even longer than that, because you'd have to do, um, you know, doctor stuff, medicals, interviews, uh, fighter meeting with Dana, you know, there's all kinds of different things you might have to do. So it might be over an hour or so before you get back to the room. Um, so, you know, we're obviously like you're trying to rehydrate uh, straight away. I'm not usually able to eat a meal, like an actual meal for at least two or three hours, uh, you know, like a pasta or something. So I'm not sure, you know, uh, when Charles was trying to do this, maybe if it was even uh, later on the day or earlier, maybe he was having major problems with dehydration. But if you were trying to eat a meal too quickly before you're hydrated, like you're, you are going to get sick. Like you're not going to be able to handle it well. So maybe getting an IV uh, gets it, gets you uh, to be able to digest and hold food down sooner because now your stomach would get hydrated quicker. Um, that doesn't necessarily make sense to me either though, because you, you know, you drink water and it goes straight to your stomach. So um, I'm not totally sure on all that. Um but again, for me, I, I just don't notice a big difference. I mean, I, I just, the, the one difference that I, I did notice was I would get back to weight quicker. 
right? Like when, when we go back to the hotel room, like usually check your weight, you know, just for fun. Like how much did I put on? And I put on 15, 20 pounds sometimes, you know, within, you know, two or three hours of weighing in, right. I'm weighing uh, 185 to 189 pounds after weighing in 171, two hours before, um, with the IVs, like, I mean, it's pretty obvious, right. It's going to happen. Like your weight's going to come back on a lot quicker. Your body's going to soak that up a lot quicker. Um, then when you, you start just uh, drinking water. Yeah. So, but, and again, I want to be, and last thing I'll say on this is this is from your perspective. Again, ultimately on fight nights, when you stepped into the cage, it didn't, you did, you don't, you, you're not like, you're not at 80% now without the IV, whereas you were at a hundred percent with the IV. It wasn't anything that dramatic for you. Like now under USADA versus years ago under like for you personally stepping in on fight night, it doesn't ultimately make a difference in that it, like giving you a competitive advantage in the fight. Not talking about like after the way I'm saying on fight night, have you ever felt like that much of a difference? No, that's, that's exactly, that'd be my answer is no. Like I feel basically the same on fight night. Yeah. I just think that's important to know. Again, I know it's just you. I don't want to say it's everybody, but, and also again, as you said, you can also cocktail other things potentially that could be whatever, but just based on a general rehydration IV, um, I just think that's important because again, when these allegations go out there and there's, and they're unfounded. And again, I'm not, I'm not trying to condemn damn hooker, but it's just a dangerous game to play because immediately everyone jumps on and says, because USADA says it's illegal that, Oh, he must be doing something terribly wrong and not necessarily. And we yeah. don't even know that he did anything wrong, but even if he did anything wrong, uh, did it really give him that much? Like, did it, did it make the, did it mean the difference between him winning and losing? I just, again, as you're saying, it's not like the night after you're suddenly like, again, I want people to be clear. It's not super juice. You're not turning into captain America because you got an IV and suddenly you're super powered. And you know, the next night you are that, right. you know, that's all I'm trying to get across here. And the last thing I'll add to that is from experiences that I've heard from other fighters, I've heard both ways, actually. I've heard people say that they felt worse after an IV that it made them bloated, right? And I, I would I would guess that those people probably took, like, too much IV, right? And, you know, they, they probably did, like, three or four bags or something and just <laughs> wanted to, you know, just overdid it. Like, fighters are extremists. This is a normal thing. Um, and I've heard people say that, you know, after they weren't allowed to do IVs anymore, they didn't feel... Uh, right uh, ever again so um, I've heard both ends of that spectrum for me again um, maybe I, I think a lot of it just comes down to you know your own focus right like if you're thinking about it then again there's a lot of placebo effect probably going on and the mental side right like if, if you're it's like it's like when they it's like giving you a pill and saying this is going to make you better and then taking it away and you think you're you think you're sick exactly. it's just that that's exactly like you have a mental there's a mental connection the iv makes me better so i need the iv when in reality it may not make it difference, but in your own head you exactly know. exactly and they've like like placebo effect is crazy man i just heard about a study not too long ago where they like gave people creatine and then they gave other people like some sugar powder or fake creatine and told them they're having creatine and both groups ended up gaining the same amount of strength and uh, i think maybe even the same amount of muscle right like it was uh, you know just the the placebo effect is fucking real man and so well, whatever you the believe, mind the mind like i think people take for discount on how much the mind affects your body like it is it is insane you've i mean i've read stories and 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 studies where people talk about like your the way you think and the way your brain processes information just completely alters how your body reacts like you can there's i know there's i mean you can i mean i'm not telling you anything you don't know matt but like you know as well as i do like you can make yourself sick by thinking you're sick like yeah, you can yeah. think like i got something wrong and then your body reacts like that's just a real part of how powerful the brain is. Yep. Yep. And you can make yourself feel better when you are sick by yeah. just using mind. Yeah. And yeah, so it, that's it's how, amazing. That's, that's how I was during COVID. I got COVID and I was like, no, I'm not going to let COVID get me. Fuck this. And then I just like made myself like get out of bed and like do shit, even though I probably shouldn't have been doing anything, but I was like, no, I'm not going to let it get me. And, you know, I was sick for like, I ended up being sick for, you know, about a day and a half. And then, you know, I kind of started getting back to normal, but, uh, I'm, that's how I am every time I'm sick. Like I refuse to be sick. Like I refuse it. Like I just like, anytime I'm sick, I'm like, no, I'm not like a child. I'm like, I'm not sick. 
And then, you know, yeah. So I'm, that's how I am when I'm sick. Whenever I do get sick, I'm just like, no, I'm not. I'm not sick. I'm, I'm fine. I'm not, I'm not bad at all. <laughs> yeah, I try to do that. I think there is, there is also like a point of diminishing returns when you're sick. <laughs> that's true. You know, you need the actual rest. Well, yeah, I'm, also, I'm also not a professional fighter going in the gym trying to push my body to the breaking limit or anything. Right, so I, right. I have a slightly different – me sitting at my computer and typing a story is slightly different than you going in the gym and sparring with savages and trying to get ready for a fight sick. I think it's a slightly different cause here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I can do the interview or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We're going to get out of here. Uh, of course, again, big announcement today. Matt Brown is officially back May 13th against Court McGee. We'll have a lot more conversation about that. As I said earlier in the show, I think we are going to start a new segment week to week on the show called uh, Ask Matt Brown Advice. Again, do not ask him who he's fighting next. Do not ask where he's fighting. Do not ask him what was the hardest fight of his career. We're not talking about that. But you got questions about nutrition. You got questions about, you know what? what I'm not going to, I don't want you to talk about it right now. Now, but I, I'll throw you a, a Matt Brown question uh, for future. Fighters love coffee. You own your own coffee brand, the Immortal Coffee. Does coffee? Like, I'm curious about coffee. Like using that before or during or after training, does it affect you at all? Don't answer that now, Matt. I'm actually legitimately curious because I know fighters. I know some fighters are full on like obsessed with coffee. Like it's like a religion with coffee. I'm curious about that because I don't drink coffee. By the way, I don't drink coffee, so I'm mm. curious. I'm, I drink caffeine, but I do not drink coffee, so I'd be curious about that. So yeah, questions, advice. Things like that, fight camp stuff. We got fight camp Matt Brown coming up right now, so we'll talk a lot about that over the next couple of months. Uh, so if you got questions like that, please hit us up. Uh, obviously, check us out on all your favorite podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and, of course, over on the best website in the world, MMAfighting.com. Matt, you got a fight now, so any uh, sponsors, anybody you want to shout out, as we will do every week leading into your fight? As always, follow me on Instagram, Twitter, at I am the Immortal, Facebook, the Immortal Matt Brown. Check out my sponsors, Routine, R-O-O-T-I-N-E.co. It's personalized nutrition. They take DNA, they take your blood, and they build a, a, a multivitamin based off your deficiencies and your DNA. Also things, you know, that maybe you process better than others and vice versa. Um so definitely check them out and also check out the immortalcoffee.com. You can check out my Airbnb, which I plugged earlier. And <laughs> I think that's about all I got today, bro. All right. Well, we will see you guys next week for another edition of the fighter versus the rider. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll see you then. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G Podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Prop G Pod wherever you get your podcasts.